Lord, thank you for prayer and that we speak to an alive God, not one that's dead. And just praise you, Lord, and give you all the glory, God. And we just pray that you would continue to have your way today, Lord, through the, the reading of your word and you prepare our hearts and minds for what you want to speak to us, Lord, through, through Acts, the end of Acts 17, that none of us would leave this place, God, missing out on what you have for us, God. Thank you that we can come together and celebrate the truth of you and the working that you do in our lives on a daily basis, Lord. Thank you that we can celebrate you, God, every day. Thank you that we can be humbled by you every day. Thank you that we can confess, Lord, our shortcomings every day, Lord, giving room for you to, to build us up and make us more like Jesus. I pray, God, that you would give us a hunger for your word, Lord. Just praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool, so uh, last, we, we've been going through the book of Acts. Um, I was looking through my notes. It's almost a year now, actually. And uh, thank God that the Bible's not boring. And uh, so we're in Acts chapter 17, and we're going to pick up in verse 15, and we're going to end with 34 at the end. And we've been following the journey of the church and the, the, the beginning of the church and how it moved from, from the Jews to the Gentiles. And now we're kind of in, 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 uh, in the middle of Paul's ministry. He's on his second missionary journey um, and he's in Athens, and he left the other couple of places, uh, Thessalonica and a couple of other, if you want to put that map up, that'd be awesome. So he, he left, he left uh, Thessalonica and Berea. He actually, he actually they, they kind of told him, he needed to leave because people were after him. And wherever Paul went, it seemed like riots were incited and people were angry and, and all sorts of different things. And you see this amazing, um, kind of like a, um, a uh, what's the word, a contrast. You see God's word being preached and people coming to know them. And then you see this other adversarial group who claim to be followers of the true and living God the, and the, the Jewish leaders at the time. And they, they didn't like Jesus and they didn't like the people that preached about Jesus because they were filled with pride and they wanted to be recognized and they wanted their religiosity to be worshiped and not God. And so we see that they had sent, they sent Paul away in, in, in Acts 16 and, and, and the beginning of 17 and he ends up in Athens. And then, you know, he, he, he sent word to, to get, to have uh, Timothy and, 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 uh, and Silas to come back to him. And, and so we find ourselves now in this last section here of Acts 17, and it's really an amazing piece here because now we're now now Paul's in the full swing of preaching to the, the gospel to those who have no idea who the true and living God is. Um, this is an area that, if you think about it, that you know th this area here, Jerusalem, Judea, like this is God. The God of of the Jews was totally known about, and as as Paul went out. And he, and he start, and his and, and he's, his his calling is to preach to those who 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 are Gentiles. In other words, those who are, are aren't aren't Jewish. And so now we see that he comes to Athens, and Athens is this this uh, pinnacle of like uh, 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 arts and and philosophy, and and if you guys know about the Greek gods and all these different things that they came up with, and and people take trips to go to Rome and see the Colosseums, and so. You know, there's just this, this, uh, this community of people, this great city of Athens. 
and, and it would be like going to the Smithsonian Institute or something like that in that era, you know, and, and there's so much pride and, 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 and Paul's dealing with, excuse me, he's dealing with intellectuals, okay? And um, intellectuals are interesting. Have you ever had conversations with people that are extremely intelligent? Sometimes it's hard for them to get past the fact of how simple the gospel is. And so we see here how the Lord allowed Paul to communicate these things to these folks. So let's pick up in Acts 15. And today I'm not going to read the scriptures and then go back in. We're just going to read and then communicate about it uh, as we go. So those who, verse 15, so those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens. In other words, the people that brought him out of where he was before brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come with him, come to him with all speed, they departed. So in other words, now he wants Timothy and Silas to come to him and be with him because they were left uh, where Paul had fled from. Verse 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. And I started reading this last week and I stopped in the middle of this, but we're just gonna go over it again. All of us weren't here and I don't always remember what I read anyway, so we'll just do it again. It is important to note here that Paul's spirit was provoked or moved when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Athens was the center of culture, education, and fine arts. Paul was interested in none of these things. He did not occupy his time with sightseeing trips. Not that these things had no value, just as the human soul and not that these things had no value, just that the human soul and where it was destined to go without Jesus Christ was and is far more valuable than any of these things offered in Athens and such more valuable in our day and age as well. You, my friends, are far more valuable than any other item on earth. So valuable, Jesus Christ gave up his life for you. He took your place on the cross. He being God in human form, chose to become the perfect, sinless blood sacrifice that God required to reconcile all of mankind back to a right relationship with God. Jesus did this for you individually. Did you know that if you were the last person on earth and the only person on earth, God would have sent his son to die for you? You're that loved by God. But you see, the same burden was upon Paul, knowing that the folks in Athens needed to hear of the saving grace of God that was given through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, which was spoken of throughout the Old Testament. And see, in Athens, they had no idea what God was talking about. That's why the title of this message, To the Unknown God, and I, I, want, I want you guys to think about this for a second. And I really believe this, that the Lord, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, God gives us discernment and the ability to sense things. And, and I want you to really think about this for a second. In a person's life, we can become so determined and so focused on what our end goal needs to be that we actually miss out on what's in front of us. And Paul was not so determined to accomplish what his goal was for ministry that he lost sight of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit pertaining to his environment. Where it says that his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. You know, idols exist today. There's probably idols in my house. Gina and I, we work hard to 
make sure that the TV is off for a certain time and that our, that, that our phones and devices aren't used so much, especially with our children. You know that our, our devices are an idol. You know, I have to tell myself not to turn this thing on and look at Facebook when I first wake up. An idol is something that we place above God, that we make more important than God himself, that we place more value in it and so, than, than God. And so anything that we lift up above the Lord is an idol. Our relationships can be an idol. Our marriages, believe it or not, can be an idol. Our jobs can be an idol. Money certainly can be an idol. Our things can be an idol. I mean, shoot, we're in America, right? We can have anything and everything we want. And I'm not saying that riches are bad or nice things are bad. Praise the Lord if you have them. Praise the Lord if you don't. The issue is, is where's our heart as it pertains to being submitted to God? And so Paul saw this in this environment. He saw the, the state that Athens was in, the state of the people. And he wasn't taken back by what he saw with his eyes, but he was taken back by what the Holy Spirit did in his heart, that he was grieved because these people didn't know who the true and living God was. And when you think about that for a second too, I mean, Paul was a murderer of, of Christians, of Jews. He, he, he was against the church and the Holy Spirit grabbed him and said, hey, look, you're, you're trying to accomplish my will through the Old Testament by eliminating everything you think isn't in line with the Torah. But now I came and Jesus, who I am, um, set everything in place in regards to the Messiah coming, and so you, you, what you're doing is wrong. And so Paul was just misguided, really, in his ministry in the beginning. I mean, he was a zealot for the law. And so God rewired him and, and showed him the truth about who Jesus was. And so all of us, if we're believers, we have that inside of us. We know the truth of who Jesus is, and don't, don't keep that to yourself in such a way that you're focused on everything else around the world, in, in your world, whether it's, you know, in your world. I mean, Gene and I have our own little world, and your world is probably quieter than our little world in our house. <laughs> but let's not be distracted. And when I was reading this, I think of, you know, th this community that we're doing ministry in. It's a lot of idols in Olivehurst. Been here for many, many, many decades. So anyways, so verse 17 through 18, it's kind of a weird transition saying anyway, sorry about that. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue. So Paul, you know, he goes again, he has this, this theme where he goes to the synagogue because it's in every place he stops. If there's a synagogue, he'll go there because it's an open place for being able to dialogue about God. So he goes to the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentiles, Gentile worshipers, sorry, and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. So I want you to notice this as well. In verse 17, there's this transition. So he not only goes to the synagogue where the Jew and the Gentile worshipers were, but look at the last part of 17. Where did he go? He went to the marketplace. He went to the grocery store. He went to the, the car lot. He went to where people were. He didn't go to the confined church walls of the synagogue anymore. He went out where people were. And that's the one thing also that we need to do. I think sometimes, or not sometimes, but throughout decades, the church has been so inward focused about the stage and the development of your experience. And so it draws people in like you go to a movie theater. No offense to some of us who have 
have those kinds of places, those things are okay. But if that becomes the defining factor and it, and it, and it causes us to be um, insensitive to the, to the calling that God has on the body of Christ to be in the marketplace sharing the truth of Jesus, we wanna make sure that we're able to share the testimony of our life with those in our daily lives. And so Paul, now we see a transition from, from being in the synagogue, the, the confined religious space to the public um, place. And then we see in 18, there's certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So these people had no idea who Jesus was. They had no understanding of who he was at all. So Epicureans were followers of a philosopher named Epicurus who taught that the pursuit of pleasure, not knowledge, is the chief end of life. So this tells us that this society was very sensual. They were, they, they were driven for pleasure. Does that sound like America at all? No, no offense. But, but you know, they were driven for pleasure. So the, and then the Stoics were, were panthe- uh, sorry, I get mixed up on words sometimes, were pantheists who believed that wisdom was found being free from intense emotion, unmoved by joy or grief, willingly submissive to natural law. So when these two schools of philosophy heard Paul, they considered him a babbler. And the, bab- and the word babbler in Greek means seed picker, like just pointless. And that he was a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus, the resurrection. They had no idea what he was talking about. Picking up in verse 19, and they took him and brought him to the Arab Eropagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. It's important to understand here. They were, they, they were philosophers. They wanted to kind of hear what he had to say, even though that, you know, they mocked him, but they still were kind of interested because they, they liked intellectual dialogues and they, they liked learning. Verse 20, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. I think it's really important to understand that people, when, when you're talking about the Lord and they're like, I don't understand that, there's an open door there. And so the Lord had opened this door to this very pagan group of people, the Athens, for Paul to preach the truth of who Jesus is. For all the Athenians, verse 21, and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something, some new thing. So they just talked a lot about whatever they had experienced. They were a bunch of dialoguing people about intellectual things. And back then we didn't have computers. They didn't have, you know, uh, speech was the way they communicate, people communicated. And so there's this, this, uh, this epicenter of these intellectuals and people dialoguing. And the Areopagus is actually Mars Hill. It was this, this outcropped rock area um, that people would come and they would have dialogues about things. It was like the, the, the center in Athens to converse about all things great or all things unknown or to philosophize about things. And so they invite him into this. So he was brought, he was brought to what was like, like I mentioned, a court hearing, but it was not for being on trial. So they brought him to their place that they had dialogued about things. 
They wanted to know what this thing Paul was saying and what does it mean? And the Athens, like it, it mentioned scripture, they, took, they spent their time listening to new ideas. And so this, this, thing, this guy, Paul, who is this babbler to some of them, they wanted to know, what's this guy talking about? So Paul stood in the midst of, verse 22, as Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. So one thing that's really neat here is that Paul did not say, you know what? You're evil. I'm not talking to you. You know what? You don't believe in my God. You know what? You're not a Christian. You know what? You smoke cigarettes. You drink alcohol. You look like a drug dealer. You look like a criminal. You look like a gang member. Blah, 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 blah. He did not make himself elevated above these people. He made himself available. And it's amazing how you see in this text, it's, it's a whole switch compared to his other preaching. And he says, he, 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 he just opens up this door. Men of Athens, he meets them where they're at. I perceive that in all things, you are very religious. So he's recognizing that these people are religious in their lifestyle. Verse 23, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. Now listen, when he says considering the objects of your worship, that means Paul was recognizing demonic idols. Anything that is not worshiping Jesus is demonic. People are like, well, that's pretty harsh, but it's real. That's a real thing. Anything that takes lordship in our life wants to replace the, the reality of Jesus wanting to dwell inside of us. God made all of us to have a relationship with him for our life to glorify him. And so Paul's walking through and he notices all these objects of worship. He says here, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And it's kind of fascinating because he's not making some um, round and round speech here to them. He's actually making a pretty profound statement because he's saying in essence that all mankind was designed to worship the true and living God. And the reality is, is that everyone outside of Christianity is worshiping something. All of us are worshiping something because God made us to worship God. And when I say worship, I mean have him have absolute place of throne in us, a, 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 a place of importance inside of us. God created it. It's been said before, a God-shaped hole inside of us. I've said that to people, you know, when I'm talking to them, I'm like, hey, do you know there's a God-shaped hole inside of you? And they're like, what do you mean? You try and fill it with everything and none of it's satisfying. And so I love this. Paul recognizes this. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God and he knew that the Athens did not know the true and living God because of how they had responded to what he was communicating. He had been preaching the gospel there. It's amazing to me. And I looked at that, I'm like, wow, Lord, you know what? Can, I, can you help open my eyes so that I would be sensitive to the environment of the people around me so that I could have some common ground with them to be able to share the truth of Jesus? We should be taking every opportunity we can in life to find common ground with somebody and be sensitive and willing for the Lord to use us to speak to somebody. All of you can share the truth of Jesus with somebody more than I ever could because your sphere of people, the influence you have around people are greater than just one person. And that's why Jesus said that we would do greater things than him is because Jesus came on this timeline. Yes, he's God, he's in heaven, he's omnipresent, omniscient, he's God in man form when he came, but he came for this certain time and then he went to heaven and he left the power of the Holy Spirit within human beings and then it exploded. And so we're seeing this explosion of the church throughout Acts. And so it's amazing that Jesus 
is multiplying who he is, not God himself, but who his ministry is through man. And so we just need to be willing to be used by the Lord and willing to look and hear and see and be looking for opportunities. And Paul was. He didn't get distracted by Athens and he was looking for opportunities even in the middle of a, of a very bad place, man. You know, and God gave him this love for these people. And even though they were like, you're a babbler, he didn't get offended and he continued. And also, uh, you have to recognize this too, is that in verse 23, he wasn't condoning the worship of idols or of false gods. He was just being observant and tactful. And the Holy Spirit allowed him to use, like I mentioned, the environment and what he knew of the people that he was preaching to to create an opportunity for commonality. Um, a lot, you know, that's one thing when we um, have relationships with people, we, we want commonality so that we can connect with them. And so Paul's using that, that, that social skill here to connect with the folks in Athens on Mars Hill. For them, Jesus Christ, like I mentioned, he's, he was the unknown God to these people. And Paul was now going to share with them who this unknown God is. Verse 24, here's what he, he starts in this amazing discourse of who God is. This is Paul speaking. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. I want you guys to recognize that God does not dwell in this building. He does not dwell in church buildings ever. In fact, he dwells inside of a believer, which is a, a miracle in itself, because, and we're his church. Genesis chapter one, verse one says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the God that lives inside of us because Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. But God, so, so we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this is who he's speaking of. God who made the world and everything in it. Everything. God made everything. There isn't one thing in the world that God did not make. Psalm 89, verse 11, the heavens are yours. I want you to think about that for a second. Maybe you see minuscule or, or you feel minuscule or you feel like things in your life are too great and too heavy and too burdensome, but I want to share this with you that the God of the universe, he created the heavens and they are his, he owns them. The heavens are yours, the psalmist says. The earth also is yours. We can feel like the earth is going into chaos and that we have no hope and, and all of this different things happening in the government and the world and all of this is already ordained really to push the church into preaching the gospel more so that more people would come to know the Lord, so that more people would get set free from hell, so that more people would get set free from the, from the control of sin, so that the church would be so full of people telling people about Jesus so that heaven would be overwhelmed with people. And so we see this, that the Lord owns the heavens, the earth is his, the world in all of its fullness, everything. And it says here, the psalmist, you have founded it. You have founded them. In other words, he was the, the, the founder of it, the creator of it. He manufactured it out of himself, he, he, out of his own abilities, he made it. Manufactured probably is a bad word to use because he created it all out of nothing. Deuteronomy 10, 14 says this, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it. 
It's important to understand where Paul writes here and he says the words heaven and earth together, it indicates the whole universe. This is who Paul was speaking of, that the God that they did not know, he goes into this discourse and he right away states that he owns the universe. That word Lord here, where it says that he's Lord of heaven and earth, that word Lord means that he's the master over all. There is no one greater than him. So Paul's saying that the God he is speaking of not only created the world and everything in it, also he is the master over the universe. He cannot be captured in temples made with human hands. See, this was the way they worshiped God was temples made with human hands, idols. He continues and he says this, verse 25, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. See, some people take pride in their worship of God. I saw a post on Facebook the other day that said that we need to take the statement out, how was your worship today? Out of church lingo. Some people take pride in their worship of God. See, God is not dependent upon people. He's not dependent upon you or me. We are dependent upon Him. He is self-sufficient in an absolute way, not even in a sense of. He's absolutely self-sufficient. He needs nothing from us to be satisfied. He needs nothing from us to be sufficient. He's the all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God. He's everywhere all at once. He's unlimited. Who's your God? Who's my God? Who resides in my mind when I think about things in my life? Do I really walk in the truth of the whole totality of God being my God in my life? Do you do the same? Do you let him have the preeminence that he desires in your life? See, this is amazing here how Paul just unfolds this. And he unfolds it in such a great, gracious way, but yet it, it, it tears down what they thought was important to worship. He starts speaking of the greatness of God. Our God is great. He's not confined in a worship song. He's not confined in our singing. He's not confined to anything. And when we think about that for a minute, the fact that he loves us, it's just, it should floor us. It really should. That a, the God of the universe that holds everything in his hands, that spoke it all into existence, it's all powerful. He loves us. He loves us so much. He loves you. He loves everything about your life in such a great way that he knows how to help you through difficulties and trials and frustrations. He's more for you than you, he's more for you than you could ever be for yourself. And Paul knew this about him and he wanted the, those in Athens to know about God in that fashion. Twenty six through twenty eight says this, and he has made from one blood every nation of men 
to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. See, Paul states the origin, the origin of the human race here, that all nations came from one common ancestor, Adam. All of us came from Adam. Not one human being came from Adam. I mean, not one human being did not come from Adam in regards to where the human race came from. Not only were the nations brought forth by God, but he also arranged the years and determined the countries in which the various people would dwell. He showered innumerable mercies on them in order that they might seek him. It's important for us to understand that if we look at this, the whole reason for verse 26, and he has made from one blood every nation men to dwell on all the face of the earth. So he's proclaiming that all of us came from one blood being Adam, okay? And then the second part of verse 26, and he says, and has determined their pre-appointed time and the boundaries of their dwelling. So if we just stop there, we're like, okay, so God put us where he wanted us to be, big deal. But verse 27, so that they, listen, should what? Should seek the Lord. Do you think the Lord will allow your life to take certain directions for a purpose to find him? God knows exactly what needs to happen in your life so that you will find the true and living God. He's beyond our stupidity, and I'm speaking for myself. I'm not calling you stupid. I'm speaking because I can. I have been super stupid in my decisions. And he was beyond all those. I can stand here today knowing the fact that that's the truth. Did God allow me and maybe has allowed you to experience horrible outcomes because of bad choices? Sure. But the difference is of continuing in bad choices and not falling on our face and saying, God, I need your help. And somebody who uh, somebody who continues in their bad choices, they, they walk away and, and they don't receive the transformation that the Lord wants to give us. And so it's important to understand here in verse 27, so they should seek the Lord. So that's a whole purpose in hope that they might, and this is really interesting scripture and interesting wording that Paul uses here that they might grope for him and find him. Groping is like, you know, it's dark or something and you're like looking around for something and you know it's there and you're like, oh, I gotta find this. Oh, where is it? You ever done that? Or like in your glove box? Oh my gosh, anyways, let's not talk about the center consoles in our cars. So you start, you start going through that. I mean, the other day we were looking, what were we looking for? We were looking for a key for the trailer lock on this and I open up the, the, the center console and Gina's, praise the Lord, my wife, I love her, and all of our closets look different than the way we want them to, right, of course. So, so I don't know why, but anyway, so open this, and it's just receipts and receipts and receipts. And it's like receipts from the grocery store. Like, are we going to return eggs or something? Like, and, and so, so Gina's sister and I, we're sitting here pulling all this. We're like, what the heck is all this? And so we're pulling all this stuff out, and we're looking for keys this big. 
And like, there's, I, I mean, there's everything in there. You could probably live for a month out of that box. But we're groping around for these keys. So that's what the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to write that, like m- looking around, intensely looking for the Lord. And then he puts here, he, and, and, and I love this, we're not left there. He, he makes a statement that, 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 that he is not far from each one of us, and it's proclaiming the omnipresence of God. That he's not far from us. He's available to all of us. Now, to have a relationship with God, though, it takes us confessing that we're sinners, accepting the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one who was ordained and prophesied about to come and live upon this earth and died, lived a sinless life, was crucified for our sins, buried, and three days later, God raised him from the dead and ascended into heaven and for us to make him the Lord of our life. Then we become part of his family. But he's not far from us. I love that Paul said that. He's just, he's just, he's just, there's just this grace of this sermon being spoken to these, to these Athenians, man. And he says, for in him we live and move in the Lord. In, in other words, the Lord, our life is in him. The Lord has given all of us life. When a child is conceived, life begins. God gives that life. Exactly. He says, you know, we even have our being in him. And then, he, and I love this. He, he, he notices this, you know, in the main midstream of his message and he, and he pulls out from one of his, one of their philosophers for we are also, I'm, uh, yeah, for some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. The ability that Paul is using here to relate to his listeners is quite amazing. So he goes and he further shows the relationship of the creature to the creator. Then he quoted, like I mentioned, some of the Greek poets who said, for we are also his offspring. Um, This is not to be interpreted as teaching the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. We are the offspring of God in the sense that he created us. God created all mankind, but we only become sons of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My question then to you is, have you placed your faith in Jesus today? Is he the Lord of your life? Verse 29, Paul continues, says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, in other words, we are created by him, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. And so Paul is debunking their Greek gods, idols that are made by human hands. In other words, because we are made in God's image, it is foolishness to make gods, lower G, in our or man's image. It's foolishness to do that. See, the Greek religion was nothing but the building and worship of gods who were patterned after humans and who acted like humans. So Paul totally debunked that in verse 29. Verse 30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So God had overlooked 
that the Gentiles had not known that he is the true and living God. But now that the revelation of the gospel had been brought to them, they now are given the choice to repent. A lot of times we have this negative connotation towards repent. Can you go back to that map really quick? Do you mind? I hope, hopefully it's on the right side there. Yes, yeah, sweet. So I want you to think about it for a second. So I'm just going to say the light brown area, Macedonia. So um, it, the, the gospel had never been brought there before. Oh, sorry, we're at Athens down here in green. The, the gospel had never been brought there before. And so Paul's saying that, that the fact that these people don't know the Lord um, and that, that his mercy, that because they were ignorant, in other words, they didn't know of God, that God overlooked that. God had overlooked that they didn't know who he was because in his great knowledge, he knew that these men would be sharing the gospel with him. And that's like, there's people on earth now that don't know the Lord because God is sending people to them to preach the gospel to them so that they would come to know the Lord. So I love that, that God had overlooked that these Gentiles had not known that he is the true and living God, but now that the revelation of the gospel had been brought to them, they now are given this choice to repent. So this, this word repent is metanoia. Oh, that's familiar. I wonder where that word's at. The Greek word for repentance, it's, it derives from a verb meaning to radically change one's thinking. Repentance refers to an event in which an individual atta- attains a divinely provided new understanding of their behavior and feels compelled to change that behavior and begin a new relationship with God. That's from the Lexium Bible Dictionary. So this word repent is not only salvation, it's actually that our lives are transformed, that there's actual evidence in our life, in our thinking towards God and towards ourselves. And, and, and there has to be this, this, this outward expression of a transformed life. I've run into some people and they, they've proclaimed that they're Christians, but their life doesn't look anything like a Christian. So then I left to question whether they even know the Lord. So God requires, once we come to understanding of who Jesus is, that we, we repent, we change the way we had thought about him and, and who we are. Start aligning ourselves with the word of God. And then we have this word gospel here. The gospel is the quote-unquote good news. And this, this good news is that God fulfilled his requirement for sin through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That there is now an opportunity to not be under condemnation, but set free through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel is the good news. You ever walked up to somebody and said, hey, have you, do you know what the good news is? People, people are like, there is no good news right now. I did that once in a, in a, in a, a sandwich shop. I got my sandwich and was checking out, and I asked the guy, was that a... Yeah, Togo's or uh, other place. And so it was just, it was at night and it was just him and I was just getting my sandwich and I said, hey man, have you heard the good news? He goes, no, what is it? And so I proceeded to share with him about Jesus. Then I left and the Holy Spirit really forced upon my heart like heavily that I needed to turn around. So I turned around and still nobody was in that place and um, him and I sat down and talked, and he made a decision for the Lord that night. 
This is long, 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 long time ago. So if, ever, if ever, it's ever upon your heart to share about Jesus to somebody, that's the Lord wanting you to talk to people about God. Don't deny that. God's going to use you. The good news. <laughs> it's amazing. Jesus is the good news, the gospel, that we have the ability to be set free in the world around us needs to hear that. So there comes a point in time in all of our lives when we have moved from not knowing about the good news to hearing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, humbly came to earth in human flesh, lived among us being that he walked on the earth in human form just like you and I do, yet he is God, was crucified on a cross, a sinner's death, a, a criminal's penalty really, taking your place and my place. He was the substitution for our due penalty the perfect lamb of God willingly laying down his life for us, brutally crucified on a cross, then being buried for three days, then on the third day rose from the dead. That's the good news. The Lord did that for you. Verse 31, and so Paul goes on, he says it's because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So now Paul goes in and says, hey, there's a day coming. So Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He will be back one day and he will judge the world with righteous judgment. That's a reality. There is a day coming that Jesus Christ will judge the world and put down his enemies and begin his 1,000-year reign, the millennial. Those of us believers will be with him. This is something that has not occurred yet, but will one day. If you want to read about it, turn to Revelations 20 and go through it and read it. Maybe one day we'll do that here. We'll go through Revelations. That'll be a study in itself for me to learn what the, to do in it. No, don't be, ever, don't be afraid of Revelations. It's really an amazing book, <clears throat> the Bible. Verse 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So some of them mocked Paul because in, in, in Greece, the, the Grecian, their, their religious system, they, they viewed like the human body was like they were trapped in it. They believed in, you know, being set free from their body from death. And so when Paul tells them about Jesus being resurrected, for some of them, they're like, why would we ever want to be resurrected? Why do, once we're dead, we're free from this place. Why would we want to be, why would somebody want to be back in their body? And so that's why they, some of them mocked him. And then others wanted to hear more. And so they're, they, they're like, hey, we want to hear more about this. So verse 33, 34, so Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysus and the, the, the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So we can go through this section of scripture and we can correlate it and look at all of the other times that Paul had preached the gospel and hundreds of people came to the Lord and miracles and all this great things happening. And we can say, Wow, this is kind of a dud of a missionary journey to Athens. But the reality is, it's 34 that people came to know the Lord. And you know what? If one person is set free and comes to know the Lord, that is an amazing thing. You know, when I think, when I was reading through this, and I was thinking about our Easter service, you know. And there's this one little boy who I haven't seen since. 
And when I gave an altar call, he raised his hand and he, was, he just walked down and stood here. And I clarified with him, you know, do you know what you're doing? And he said, yes. And, he, and, and after he prayed, um, he wanted to get baptized. And I, I said, okay, being baptized is to, is to let the world know that, that you're a follower of Jesus. And he himself on his own said, God was here and now he's here. And I was like, well, I'm not going to argue with that. You know, and so one person, and I don't know where his life is, and you know what? Any of us sharing the gospel with somebody and someone committing their life to the Lord is a miracle. And it's not something that we can equate. We can't tally it. We can't, there's no, we don't have a stick where we mark off things. Because when it comes to where God enters a human being, no matter what age they are, you know, obviously they have to be of cognitive age. We don't believe in blessing babies. I mean, you know, with, with the knowledge of God, they have to know what they're doing. That's why I asked Drake, do you know what you're doing? And he gave, he gave a straightforward answer that he knew. He was certain. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that I haven't seen him since. I don't know where he's at. But I believe that if he in his heart, none of us can see, you don't know what goes on inside of me. I don't know what goes on inside of you. We can, we, there, we, can, we can give lip service until the day we are in our deathbed. God knows the intentions of our heart and the Lord knows when we make a decision for him. And uh, yes, there's an outward expression that needs to happen as we grow in the Lord. I don't think that you come to know the Lord and all of a sudden you just can continue living life as you used to live before you knew him. Some of us are harder headed like I was, but praise the Lord, there's still work that happens in our lives to transform us. So anytime that somebody comes into the Lord for whatever reason and whatever circumstances is a miracle, an amazing work of the Holy Spirit. And so I just praise God, you know, that, that even in this context where... You can get caught up saying, well, Paul's ministry journey to Athens was kind of like, eh, what happened there, you know? And then it doesn't say, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't forced out or anything. It just, it just kind of, he stopped preaching. It could have been that he was interrupted by them and they wanted to have more conversations. We don't really know. But it's just amazing that, that people still came to know the Lord through that diverse situation. And I want to read this. This is, I sent this to our ministry team and this is, um, out of a uh, commentary I use every once in a while, it's called Believer's Bible Commentary, and this is a note from there. This is kind of the ending piece of this area of, of Acts in, in the commentary. It says this, the Lord Jesus had commissioned them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's Mark sixteen fifteen. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So the book of Acts shows them carrying out the command, and that's what we're witnessing through reading the scripture. We're going through this journey with Paul and all the believers carrying out this command. Um, we might add that most of the preaching in Acts was spontaneous and done without preparation. Usually there wasn't time to prepare a message. Quote, it was not the performance of an hour, but the preparation of a lifetime. It was the preachers who were prepared, not the sermons. And I want to let you guys know that God is preparing you to do work for him. And he's building something inside of you that only he can do. And so be encouraged that God wants to use you guys 
in your daily lives, in your homes, with your neighbors. I mean, I did this silly video the other day and my neighbor came and he said, you know what? I related to that. And I was like, wow, praise the Lord. Like, this is really neat. I use, I don't know, sometimes God inspires me and I, I do videos relating to things and I had this jumbly bunch of wires and I talked about how our life can be all mixed up and everything and, and it takes us working through it and, the, and, and all this and I, I wasn't even thinking about him. I just felt led by the Lord to do it and he, he t- t- comes over and comments on it. And then my other neighbor comments on it. I'm like, hmm, who's stalking me on Facebook? But, but, but I mean, it's just you never know what the Lord's gonna do in your life. So don't, don't, don't discount yourself and, and don't put off what God wants to do. Uh, my, my friend John's dad um, does little um, etching things over at a place called Wide Awake Geek in Marysville. And um, it's, uh, he gave this to me. It, uh, you guys can't see this, but it's called, it says to it, T-U-I-T. It was etched with a, a laser engraver on uh, probably plexiglass. But what, what shape is it? Round. Round, get around to it. So don't put off what God wants to do in our life. A lot of times we say, oh, I'll get around to it. And then our, our walk with God or the ministry God calls us to becomes like our closet or my wife's center console in the suburban. <laughs> oh, man. Praise the Lord for, for our, our spouses. Well, um, Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and that it never turns back void. And Lord, I thank you so much for, um, for Paul's life and that you took a man who was breathing ev- murderous things, Lord, against your church and you showed him the way. And so, Lord, all of us, God, we, we're dead in our trespasses without you, Lord. And I just pray that you would just continue to work in our lives as you see fit. And again, we lift up this movie that Eric's involved with, that you'd have your way there, Lord. That you'd encourage them when things may not seem encouraging. Um, Lord, I pray for each and every person here online, whether they listen to it now or later, that you would use this message, Lord, to just encourage. And if anyone uh, ha- needs prayer for anything, Lord, I pray that you would just encourage them to ask for prayer today. And... Uh, Just thank you, God, for who you are and for your life, Lord. And um, just pray that you would bring healing to those that are sick. There's some of us that aren't here today. And and, uh, just thank you for just what you're doing in our lives and your faithfulness. And uh, I just praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.